0: Hi, and welcome to Decoding AQ, helping you to learn the tools, mindsets and actions to thrive in an ever-changing world. Hi, and welcome to Decoding AQ. I've got a really good friend of mine uh, today that I can't wait to share his amazing experience, knowledge, and as a, a fellow vegan, uh, we've spent some good time together. So I have Gary Richer, uh, who is uh, from Oakland in California and one of the just most beautiful human beings i've met uh, i've oh. lost board games to him and we're still <laughs> friends um and i can't wait so welcome gary
1: thank you thank you good morning or i guess i guess good evening in your Could case.
0: be. who knows when when people might listen so uh tell us a little bit about your uh background and uh yeah just start off there a little bit about you
1: sure so um uh, I am a veterinarian, uh, I've, been, uh, I've been in practice a little over 20 years in the San Francisco Bay Area, so Oakland specifically. Um, and really my, my practice focuses around uh, what we would call integrative medicine. So in other words, rather than sort of you know, pigeonholing ourselves to, to one, one form of medicine, whether it be sort of conventional Western medicine or Chinese medicine or, or whatever other form of medicine, what I do in my practice is I will utilize the best that that many, many different styles and modalities of medicine have to offer for any given individual uh, to to get a better outcome than we would be able to with 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 any one specific type of medicine.
0: was there a a trigger in either you know your education and university or 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 at places along your path that led you to that kind of view of this sort of flexible approach, rather than focusing in on one modality, was there an event or trigger, or just the way your mind thought?
1: You know what? There were there were really two things. Um, one thing, and and I think the thing that really got this started um, was, you know, I mean, as a as a doctor, um, I think maybe a lot of people that are not in medicine don't don't really think much about it, but but you know, I mean. Practicing medicine is largely following an algorithm. So, you know, your patient comes in with a set of symptoms. Based on those symptoms, you run a certain test. Based on the results of the test, you then either run more tests or provide treatment, et cetera, and you just work your way down the algorithm for the most part. And and like every other algorithm, it has an endpoint. And, and, you know, after being in practice for a number of years and, and, you know, sort of seeing the same type of diagnoses come up again and again, um, what you really start to see is you really start to see where the hard stops are as far as treatment goes, um, where you get to a point with diagnostics and treatment where realistically speaking, I had to go to a pet owner and say, you know what? There's nothing else we can do here. Take your pet home, keep them comfortable and let me know when you think it's time to say goodbye. Um, and you know, on some level that is a reality of healthcare But it never sat great with me from the perspective of the point at which I had to have that conversation. I just felt like I wanted to be able to do more, be able to offer more. And and it was that that it really led me to start looking into other modalities of treatment. So Chinese medicine, for example, acupuncture, chiropractic, herbal therapy. Um, And what I found as I started educating myself and learning about these these various modalities um, is is they can be highly effective in ways that Western medicine is not. Uh, and all of a sudden that endpoint on my algorithm got pushed way out down the road. Um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and as I have explained it to people sort of, once you see that, you can't unsee it. You know, it's, you, you can't turn around and walk away from that if, if, you know, as a doctor, if the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning is how do I help my patients? Then it just becomes, you know, it becomes almost a, you know, it, it becomes just a, a pattern of behavior of, okay, here's my endpoint now. Now what can I do to push that out a little bit further? Um, so that kind of really led me down, you know, a path many many years ago of just always looking for what is, what is another modality that I can add? What is another treatment that we can offer? that is going to improve the quality of life of these patients, that is going to hopefully improve the quantity of life of these patients as well. Um, and, and really, I mean, that's, that's pretty much what I do at this point.
0: And it's a lovely kind of principle and way of thinking of an expansion of health span and lifespan. And yes. your approach in order to do that is through curiosity and innovation and discovery to say, okay, what exists now? You know, each day is a new day of opportunity that exists in the world, and looking with that curious mind to say, how will now different combinations of things, different modalities, help expand my goal? You know, to extend health span and extend lifespan. Just happens to be that your area is with pets, Um, but that same principle, I think, you know, listeners could attach that to whether it's pet or it's a product. Or it's a service, or it's yeah. a professional endeavor. If you want to extend its lifespan or health span, i.e., how long it serves value, look for ways to innovate different modalities to do it. I think that's a really interesting thing that you've uh, you've shared there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just a question of finding a different approach to achieve the goal that you're looking to to get to.
0: So, in terms of. Um, Right now, you know, we're, uh, what's the the date today? It's it's interesting the time of year, people are saying, oh, April, day 57 of April. (laughs) Yeah, right. Because it seems to be Groundhog Day for many. So we're at 23rd of April. And what is it like in in Oakland in terms of the effect of uh, COVID 19? And how has that uh, affected your veterinary care center and your team?
1: Sure. So, I mean, Oakland and the San Francisco Bay Area, I think, uh, you know, is 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 treating this situation like many larger metropolitan areas are in the sense that, I mean, the town in many ways is is locked down. So a lot of businesses are closed. Um, You know, we've been very fortunate in the Bay Area that I think because we locked down so early, uh, the cases have not gotten out of hand here. Hopefully it stays that way. Um, obviously there's always that looming question of is it going to blow up on us later, but, but for now, so far, so good. So, so the good news is, is there's not really, you know, especially after those first couple of weeks, I think sort of the, the mass panic has kind of calmed down a little bit. And now, now what we start to see is people are starting to figure out how to, how to resume their lives within the framework of, of what you can and you can't do these days. So, from the perspective of, of of a veterinary hospital and specifically uh, holistic veterinary care um, here in Oakland, the way that we're approaching this is we are still seeing patients. Um, however, we are no longer having the pet owner come in with the pet. So we're collecting animals at the door. Uh, We're actually putting our leash on the dog, for example, and and giving the owner the dog's leash and collar, just to, again, just to limit any sort of potential transmission issue. Uh, And then what we're doing is, is we're setting up the client with a link for a Zoom call. So effectively, we're putting them in the exam room virtually. So, you know, they generally speaking, what's happening is they're sitting in their car Um, And we're having a video chat while they can see their pet right there. They can see what, what, you know, the exam go on. We can talk about their concerns. Uh, So, you know, we're doing what we can to, to, to make this as as comfortable a situation as possible, given, given the, 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 you know, what we have to work with. And and what we found is that people are incredibly receptive and really, really grateful for this Um, because, you know, they don't want to be sort of separated from that interaction. You know, they want to be part of that interaction and they're so grateful that we're open and that we're able to help their pets. So, I mean, it's really, really worked out uh, very, very well. I mean, I was telling somebody the other day, you know, if this if this madness had happened 10 years ago, it would have been a completely different story from what we would have been able to do on the, on the technology side to make all this work.
0: I, I think that's one of the things, you know, is how do we find the gift in challenging times um, and to respond in a way that is still positive? So the mm-hmm. the innovations that, yes, some technology um, is available, so you've used it. Ten years ago, we didn't have Zoom, right? But we would have found whatever the technology was. We would we have done it on the phone. any better. We would have yeah. telephoned them. And put yeah, it we on would screen.
1: have just done it over the phone.
0: You know, over the phone. Yeah. And I'm sure the same level of... Um, gratitude and feeling grateful that they can still be involved, uh, in there would have still felt it's all relative. And yes. um, in terms of, uh, it, by the way, I have a question is timeless. The cafe, are, are they doing takeaways? Can you still get the vegan treats? That's,
1: that's exactly what they're doing. So yeah, the, uh, the vegan coffee shop and bakery up the, up the street from, from my office. Um, you could, you order online, you order okay. through their website and then you just go and, and pick it up. God. So, that, that so was all one. of the goodies are still there. So there. you know, if it's if there's any way you can get to Oakland, you can yeah. eat. Yeah, you they can. We can feed you.
0: The, the challenge of getting to Oakland might be a bit more more difficult. <laughs> so so the um, the experience then for the pet owner um, has changed slightly. Uh, yes. As you say, they sit in perhaps their car and they engage in that way. In mm-hmm. terms of your team and team members, and are you considered uh, a workforce that is you know, an essential, therefore they can all come in to work? And how are they you know, adapting or feeling differently? What's some of the um, perhaps challenges you've faced and how did uh, the team overcome them?
1: Sure. So, uh, you know, veterinary medicine is considered an essential business. So we are, we are still allowed to be open. Um, as far as the staff goes, uh, obviously, right at the outset of all of this, everybody was a little apprehensive. Nobody knew what was what was going to happen. Um, but one of the things that very rapidly happened in in sort of in the lives of our staff members is almost everybody that they knew in their sort of general sort of social circles, friend circles. Almost everybody that they knew lost their job. Um, you know, they know a lot. You know, my staff. I mean, a lot of their friends. They're in they're in the restaurant industry. They work in a bar, some sort of hospitality thing. All those people lost their job within a week. Um, and many of many of my employees here, they're literally the only person in their immediate friend group that's still working and getting paid. So, uh, you know, the great news about that is they're incredibly grateful about the fact that they, you know partially financially and partially just from a sanity perspective that they still get to come to work and do stuff and interact with animals and interact with each other. Um, and they're not sitting at home, just percolating and going nuts.
0: It's, it's a really profound and simple statement of, you know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And often we take so many things for granted and we look for the holes We look for the thing that, you know, didn't quite go right that day Um, and that that is our uh, entity. To choose to look for the things that are going right is a mindset. Uh, But then when the whole world changes and you suddenly realize, wow, there's a lot going right for me. I need to be grateful and and respectful of that. Uh, That's really interesting. And in terms of you know, you said they've changed. Uh, that they're feeling very grateful for for that, the sanity of having something you know to do, to contribute, and to serve. Sure. Um, have there been areas where you know your vision for the future now, learning some of these things, is is evolving or changing? So, are you thinking about new ways to create a future that's different, perhaps? Than you had planned before, and tell us a little bit if that's true or not.
1: It, it, it is true to an extent. I mean, you know, medicine, you know, medicine on on some level. It, it requires hands-on stuff, so you know, certainly from a veterinary perspective, there's no way that our office is going to can be able to convert to a largely online presence or remote presence because you know it's just a hands-on sort of thing. Particularly a lot of the things that we do here, like physical therapy, acupuncture, that sort of thing. Clearly, that's that's tough to accomplish on a Zoom call. Um, but uh, Maybe haptics know, is- in the future.
0: You know, could be maybe haptic suits in the future.
1: Yeah, there you go. You know?
0: So you have...
1: Maybe I can I can like take control of the owner and sort of make them do the yeah
0: or even that it's placed on like a like a thunder jacket and you have the algorithms of you know what puts the pressure and senses. I like it.
1: Could be. I like it. That's a a, a good. That's a good invention. Um, So all that said, um, you know we are, you know we are really starting to explore what are the things that we can do uh, remotely. Um, You know, so for example. Uh, you know if we have a if we have a person that 's at home with say an older arthritic dog and for whatever reason they 're not able to come in you know through through a video call, we can start to show them like here are some exercises that you can do with your dog at home to help them get a little stronger and move around a little bit easier so there are certain things that we can do so and and you know from a from a legal perspective, there are some limitations to what we can do as far as like telemedicine goes. Uh, But but as a for example, for 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 patients that we're already regularly seeing, if something should come up, we can now have a video conference with that with that owner, talk to them about what's going on and give them advice on on how to how to resolve it all. Um, So uh, you know, and so we're doing that and 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 you know the other thing that we're doing and, and I think as you know, we were doing this before the whole Corona thing happened anyway, but but we're always pushing towards getting information out online for people to take better better care of their pets. Um, like I say, we were doing that long ago, but we've really sort of stepped up our, our efforts to do that. Uh, so for for those folks that can't get out, they still have a resource on how do I take the best care of my pet?
0: And that's an interesting area because there's so many different dimensions of pet ownership, you know, for, of the health aspects when it's an emergency or critical situation. Um, then there's the management of conditions or pain. But then there's how do I maximize the joy of the relationship and life yes. of this other member of a family? Sure. And maybe there's huge opportunities. And I know we've had lots of conversations in the past about you know, your visions of what the future might look like. Uh, for that. And the sort of crossovers between uh, pet and human and where innovations lie and w- which can drive innovations in different areas. What, what do you think um, maybe other areas of a pet owner's life could be thought about and looked about in different ways other than just saying veterinary care that you're excited about and um, you've got some thoughts for the future on?
1: Sure. You know, I mean, I think that there's, I think there's a couple of ways to look at that. Number one, there is a, there is a very definitive and direct link between how people approach veterinary care and how people approach their own care. Um, And, and interestingly, sometimes veterinary care actually becomes a gateway to human health care from the standpoint of, you know, let's say somebody's pet has a medical issue, and they bring them in, and 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 all of a sudden that pet gets better by virtue of of some sort of natural therapy or acupuncture or some integrative solution. That opens up the door for that person to sort of reevaluate how they approach their own healthcare, and say, "Wow, you know, I mean, if this helped my if this helped my dog or my cat, you know, maybe that can help my chronic problem." And then they can seek out. Uh, you know, they can seek out uh, integrative medicine for themselves. You know, it's, 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 it's interesting, although perhaps not surprising, uh, that it's, it's, it's actually quite common when I talk to people when we're, doing, when we're doing these sort of alternative therapies on their pet, I ask them if they've ever done any kind of alternative therapies for themselves, and frequently the answer is no. Um, so, in many ways, they're prioritizing their pet's healthcare over themselves, Uh, but, but again, once they start to see the results, then all of a sudden, I think that that creates a, a, you know, a paradigm shift in their mind, as far as how to approach their own, their own healthcare. Um, I think the other facet of it is what's out there and, you know, we're constantly looking for these things, but what's out there that actually will improve not only the life of the pet, but the life of the owner sort of in a, in a more to use the term, a more holistic fashion, Um, you know, so things that are going to improve the quality of life of both the pet and the owner. And sometimes, sometimes that's information and education. Sometimes it's, it's some physical thing like a product. I mean, there's fascinating sort of tech products that are coming out now, Um, you know, things that can, for example, uh, you know, monitor, electronically monitor how your pet's health is. Uh, in much the same way, like a Fitbit or an Aura ring or something to that effect, would would be in a human. Um, and be, you know, and because of that, you know, if we're able to if we're able to closely monitor an animal's health and detect problems early, then ultimately we're improving the life of both the pet and the owner because it's that much less that they have to worry about. And presumably, those pets will live longer and better lives because their medical issues will be addressed sooner.
0: I think, you know, a lot of the holy grail of many healthcare endeavors are about, you know, preventative and predicting and personalized. So the more data we can get, and I think one of the challenges, um, you know, particularly in your industry and area is one of data and communication. Yes. Uh, In human health, you've got lots more data points and lots more communication points to, as you said, feed into that algorithm of the symptoms and things. And with the vast range of animals we have as pets, um, and then equally some of the challenges around the data and communication with them, I mean, I want to change tack slightly now to what you look for, Um, because you've run a number of uh, veterinary hospitals and centres, and you've employed and scaled businesses and you know, gone through lots of challenges of how do you identify great team members? How do you develop and nurture them uh, in order that they can grow themselves? What are the sort of techniques and uh, aspects you look for, for people who come and join your firm? Because you're always expanding. Every time I speak to you, you know, you're, you're growing, you're taking right. on new team members, new uh, veterinary practitioners what makes someone really good that would suit your kind of vision?
1: It's a, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, I mean, healthcare in general, uh, you know, there's a very, uh, you know, there's a very particular personality type of people that, that sort of gravitate towards healthcare. Um, and, and in fact, if you look at a disc profile of most people that are in healthcare, they're all the same, you know, they're, they're all high compassion, uh, you know. Tend to be not particularly financially driven people. Um, uh, you know, they're they're rule followers for the most part. I mean, it's just it's the personality type that gravitates towards healthcare. So we see a lot of those people. Um, and and you know, ultimately, the you know the the goal is is to find to find those people that that not only have the compassion but also have, have the drive and the level of intelligence to do the job. I mean, healthcare quite obviously is not, it's not an easy job, um, both intellectually or emotionally. I mean, it, it, it definitely takes its toll. Um, so, so I'm always looking for sort of this combination of, of, of compassion, intelligence, and somebody that ultimately can function without direct supervision. You know, I don't want to have to spend my day constantly looking over somebody's shoulder to make sure that they're doing, doing their job right. And furthermore, and I've said this for years, what I really want, my ideal employee is the employee that turns around to me after I ask them to do something and they say, are you sure you really want to do it that way? You know, like, I'm not infallible. And I have no problem whatsoever with somebody asking a question and saying, you know, don't you think maybe this would be a better way to do it? because you know what, that we all keep each other, you know, we all keep each other safe that way. I mean, you know, medicine is one of these, is one of these professions where a mistake can literally cost a life. Yep. Um, And and you know what, I mean, there is is not a doctor out there that has been practicing for any period of time who has not made a mistake. It's just, it's just a thing. Um, So to have really qualified people around you that can look at it and then go, wait a minute, can we talk about this for a second? That is, that is an invaluable thing. And I think the, the flip side of that, the way that you keep those people engaged and the way that you keep them in your organization is they have to believe that management and ownership cares about them. Uh, and I think that's something that we see Becoming a real problem in veterinary medicine, as a lot of veterinary hospitals are being bought up by large corporations. Um, you know what what winds up happening is is you know that corporation may be able to run things very efficiently. You know from a from a balance sheet perspective, what happens is 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 in many cases the love gets lost. Um, and you know what people that work in healthcare we're, we're, you know were sort of very emotional people in the sense that we need to believe that everybody cares and we need to believe that the people that are above us in the hierarchy are really thinking about patient care before they're thinking about how much money are we making. Uh, so, and and I've seen that happen, you know, with a veterinary hospital that I sold a few years ago, um, you know, almost as soon as it sold, morale went, went in the toilet, um, because all of a sudden the staff didn't feel like the people that were running the hospital cared about them anymore. And it it literally took a matter of a couple of months between, you know, for everything to kind of fall apart. Um, You know, so like, as a, for example, when I sat down, when I sat down with the staff when this whole COVID thing started, you know, we talked about how we were gonna do things. And one of the things I told them was, is one of my primary goals, as we move into this uncharted territory, is I wanna make sure that all of them stay safe, keep their jobs, continue to get paid, that that it's very important to me that that they are taken care of. And, and, you know, that sort of stuff is invaluable from the standpoint of staff retention, from the standpoint of staff being motivated and wanting to go above and beyond what they're asked to do. You know, everybody functions better in an environment where they think people care about them. Um, and I think it's very easy for businesses to get to a place where that gets lost and it doesn't take long for things to go bad.
0: I think you've picked up so many great points. And of course the environment that we're in means that we might have to dig deeper, uh, at certain situations, many businesses that are in this survival mode that now is absolutely the time to show just how much you care. Yep. in these things. And some of it, yes, we have to make difficult decisions, but we don't have to then uh, deliver them in a way in which is unhumane. <laughs> you know?
1: exactly. Um, exactly.
0: And I want to pick on, up on a couple of bits. So the first one was um, about emotional, uh, almost resilience. You know, it's incredibly impactful to, to deal with challenging situations where the outcome is sometimes not the desired one, and that is uh, a hit on on people 's emotions and being able to be resilient to come back um, with joy with love with mm-hmm. compassion and care and not be broken from that is a sure. special uh, characteristic do you think that's something that's innate or do you think you can develop that um, over time by the support of people around you and things uh, you know what 's your kind of aspect on that because maybe listeners are feeling some emotional impact of the mm-hmm. changes. Sure. Uh, that There's almost been a death of certain things, you know, maybe their job, their bits, how in what you've seen that has built an environment of high emotional resilience from dealing with trauma over time, right. how mm-hmm. might we learn from that for others that maybe are facing it uh, that's less regular for
1: them? Sure. So, you know, I think to answer your question, some of this is innate in people, um, you know, I mean, some people are just inherently better at, at sort of dealing with these kinds of things and moving on than others. Um, you know, I think, you know, not to get too far into the weeds here, but when you look at sort of the, you know, sort of the brain physiology uh, of, of people, you know, you know, for example, you can have two people that experience the same traumatic event and one of them has PTSD and has a really hard time dealing with it. And the other one just kind of moves right on. And, and honestly, some of that's brain chemistry. Some of us are just better at doing that than others. And you see this in healthcare. Um, you know, the, the, people, the people that either have a hard time doing that innately or cannot adapt to it, they burn out. Um, because you cannot, you know, if you, get, if you get deeply emotionally attached to your patients, it's very, very difficult to do this job or, you know, whether it's veterinary or human medicine. I mean, you look at, you look at what these healthcare workers on the human side are dealing with right now. I mean, it's, it's unimaginable to me. If I think about it too much, I start to tear up it, you know, just, just the level of suffering and the level of death that they're having to manage right now. I I can't even imagine how they're going to process all that. Um, But, but you do learn how to do it. And it's, and it's a very, it's a balance between you know you you, it's it's very important that you stay you know emotionally attached to what you're doing i mean you can't you know you can't become the borg about this and just and just do it like you're working you know on an assembly line but at the same time you have to keep a little bit of distance um so you don't get too close and wrapped up in it and and you know and and things spiral in a bad way so Absolutely, there are sort of adaptive ways to do this, and I think it's very important for people to realize. Um, you know, whether you're talking about patients in healthcare or or sort of the you know everything that everybody's dealing with right now, whether it's family, financial, what have you. Um, you, you know what, the sun also rises, you know, the th- this will pass, it's not the end of the world. Um, and and you know will be fine in in the in the grander scheme of things. and and, you know, I mean, I think it's it's very, very easy and very understandable that that you can get kind of wrapped up in this vortex of, oh my God, things are horrible. Um, you know, but it, you know, we just need to retain some perspective. Uh, you know, certainly one thing that I would suggest that people do is if they're, you know, I mean, be careful about how much how much news media you take in during the course of the day. I mean, you know, it just repeats over and over again. It's not like they're giving you new information every hour, but boy, if you watch that too much and I found myself getting sucked into that, like I'll come home after work and watch like two hours of the news and boy, am I not in a real good mental space after that. Yep. So, so, I mean, you know, I think, you know, take in what you need to take in and then move on and focus on something positive, whether it's, you know, whether it's, it's, it's playing music or reading a book or spending time with family or whatever, Wherever your joy is, you just have to keep, you have to keep focusing on that.
0: I, I think there's you know, one of the communities that I'm in and uh, where I met your wife, Lee, is strategic coach. And one of the, the gifts uh, that I feel I've gained from there is this practice of mindset of positivity. And I feel it is a practice. You know, the gratitude circles that Lee does yes. with your team and things like that, they are great antidotes to difficult, challenging times. That It trains the eyes and the ears and the mind to look for the positive aspects in life. The sun rising, you know, having a meal with a family member, uh, being able to connect via Zoom to a... Treatment that's in the room, you know, fifty yards inside the building. Sure. So I think that is a definite thing. That whether somebody has the brain makeup, the innate ability, what we can do is look for the good. It might be hard to find it, but if yeah. we look for it, the chances are we might find it. If we're not even looking for it, then the chances are desperate.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right, and 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 you brought up something. Uh, Really great that maybe we should expand upon a little bit. Um, my wife Lee and 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 the gratitude circle. Uh, you know, I think this is something that is completely foreign to most people. But really, all that is about is gathering who's ever around, standing in a circle, and just going one person at a time and saying one thing that you're grateful for at this moment. Um, and and you know, you start to do that, and yes, it it absolutely changes your mindset you just start to look at things a little bit different. I mean, I'm, I'm no expert in psychology, but you absolutely can, can see and feel the difference in people once there is this conversation of, let's talk about what we're grateful for. It's actually something that we do every time I have a staff meeting here in the office, we always start the staff meeting by going around and everybody saying one thing that they're grateful for. It really, it sets the tone for a positive meeting and, and, and positive outlook.
0: And I have to say, you know, I had the, the pleasure of experiencing that with your team back at the beginning of the year. And, you know, coach calls it positive focus, start every meeting in that way leads to it on the, the gratitude circle. I think it's just, you know, choosing, how do we want to live our lives? You yes. know, <laughs> and being one of the things I noticed was no matter how you turn up, uh, that it becomes accumulative and it layers. So, whether I am feeling right, grateful right now or not, if I see three other people around me share what they're grateful for, it affects me and it rubs off on me in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it lifts um, just the whole frequency of. Now, I'm not sure whether that's because of who I am. I allow that to happen rather than I go in the gap and say, oh, they've got loads of things to be grateful for. What have I got to be grateful for? So I think it's built up and something that has become just the part of your culture and the way you do things. Um, And that's resonated that it, it allows people to find that in other areas outside of the gratitude circle. So maybe when they are finding a challenging time or something didn't go right, that they you know are able to bring that to their their sense
1: yeah i mean it's it's an acquired sort of coping mechanism like yeah. once you once you see it then you know i mean it's it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier about about alternative medicine like once you see that out there as an option for you all of a sudden you realize it's there for you
0: yeah yeah i think it is a a super powerful piece of the you know just personal practice And doing it in a group is a level up and a power up for everybody Uh, and in teams which are finding it very challenging. I think that's important. The other bit that I wanted to pick up on is the change that happened when one of your previous um, centers that you sold went into um, a different trajectory, shall we say, Mm -hmm. because Maybe the leadership changed, some of the care changed, and the mm-hmm. team's ability to react and adapt to that and for the organization to still um, grow and thrive. I think there's going to be many businesses facing this this challenge where things aren't going to be the same. Certain people will not be back, certain businesses will not be back, and it will be a new environment Yes. So if you could or had have been involved in more uh, of that during the transition, how might you have managed that differently with all of your experiences so that maybe others could learn from that um, kind of experience that, that you can see?
1: Sure. I mean, you know, and, and I think we talked about it a little bit before. And you know what, this is true, whether you're talking about employees or whether you're talking about your kids, regardless of what it is, the the magic in the interaction is the people that you're working with need to believe that you care. Um, You know, I mean, I can, I can go to my staff and say, you know what, this just happened. This is going to affect us in a way that's not going to, that's not going to be super fun. Um, But you know, it might be tough, but we're going to work together. We're going to get through it. This is our plan and this is how we're going to be better off when it's all said and done. Um, it's, it's very much a, we're all in this together, uh, rather than me saying, you know, walking in the room and saying, this is your new reality, deal with it, see a bye. Um, that, you know, and, and that, I think that, and that is the, the, the core difference in many cases between success and failure. You can, you can approach the same problem with the same solution and get very different results. Um, if the people that are ultimately going to solve that problem for you are personally invested in a solution or not.
0: I think that's, you know, there's so many things that are just simple to say they make sense, but it takes deliberate intention to do.
1: It absolutely does.
0: And it's something that needs repeating. This is not an intervention that's just done when there's a crisis It's how does it build to become part of the operating system and the operating model for an organization um, to, you know, it's not, oh, it's care week, you know, so we're all going to show how we care. Sure. You know, it's, you know, being around specifically your environment and team i've I've spent lots of time with so many different organizations that have come together to solve a particular challenge it 's about innovation or it's about you know a positioning piece or a marketing piece and you can tell it's so unnatural for them um, in the way that they're interacting doing things, even being asked for their opinion sometimes sure when when I came the um, just comfort in that environment of collaborative problem solving that their voice was being listened to it w- was wanted to be heard I think is rare and I I actually believe you know I read I'm just trying to wrap my brains of the book and I think it's um, it'll come to me but there's an example in healthcare where a um, a pilot's wife goes in for a routine operation for a sinuses and ends up dying. And the doctor was um, being, shall we say, told or um, requested to do something different by a subordinate. And because of his hierarchy and various things, he dismissed that He was so in the moment of the situation that he couldn't see what was going on. And a subordinate could see what was going on and was trying to say, I think we should be doing something different right now. And one of the challenges in the book was talking about uh, open feedback loops and closed feedback loops, black box thinking, that's the book. And a lot of what happens, unfortunately, in healthcare is these situations will then just stay inside that room, Maybe it's inside just that one practice center, but it's certainly not shared across the industry when things aren't quite right. Opposite yep. to aviation, where something will happen and you know there's an industry. And everything's out in the open. Everything's out in the open. And that openness for that feedback loop allows everyone to co elevate and improve. Yeah. I think one of the challenges in in healthcare is how open we are to what works or doesn't work, and the openness to different modalities. So, how would you like to, or, or how do you think your approach could be embraced in other areas of healthcare to be more open minded, or is that just an innate challenge because it's high risk? You know?
1: Well, I mean, you know the 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 example that you just you just cited. I mean, that is that is exactly the the reason why i said earlier that you need to have those employees that will turn around and say do you really want to do that are you sure you really want to do that because you know what a good nurse makes you a better doctor um because they will see things that you don't see and at the end of the day i mean i think i i once heard somebody say that doctors don't actually treat patients nurses treat patients doctors diagnose and nurses actually treat patients so you know, a a really good nurse will see things from a perspective that I will not see them from, um, and 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 I will say that that many times over my career, I think I have had better outcomes in my cases because of the input that I've gotten from from my nurses. Uh, you know, and and part of the issue uh, that you bring up here, particularly as it pertains to to human healthcare, um, Because there is so much out there from the standpoint of liability um, and lawsuits and that sort of thing, in many cases, uh, physicians in particular are often counseled when things go wrong to never actually admit that, that they could have done better or a mistake was made. Whereas it's so many times if you go to a person and you say, you know what, look, this is what happened. This is what should have happened. I'm really sorry that this happened. Clearly, that's not going to make that particular person's wife come back. Um, but I think that that creates a very different scenario than what looks like a cover up. Yeah. So, so the, you know, the
0: system, the system orientates more around cover up and protection, and therefore it's almost the ball and chain to overall progress beyond right. no, that. It, it,
1: it's, it's very true. And, and, you know, and as I was saying before, there's no doctor out there that's been practicing for any period of time who hasn't done something that he wishes he did differently. I mean, it, that's just the case. And the more that we can be open about that stuff and share that stuff, the less likely maybe somebody else is going to make that mistake. Um, and I that that's clearly true. That's clearly true across the board, whether it's medicine or, or, or any other business. You know, if we can be open and, and, and share with each other what worked, what didn't work, uh, you know, that, that just elevates everybody and makes, and makes everything better. Sometimes that is a difficult thing for people Very to accomplish hard. though, whether or not it's sort of viscerally, emotionally, or from a legal standpoint, what they can say and can't say in a public forum. It's a, you know, it's a tricky, it's a tricky landscape to have to navigate.
0: I think it's an interesting one where, you know, it's about the risk, size of prize, and what's the gain of a lot of these things. And certainly in innovation, when I was doing a lot in our innovation consultancy, was the concept of celebrating failure and fail forward and all of these things, you know, and you have organizations like Google that have killed by Google website of all the projects that they've killed, you know, yeah. celebrating their failures so sure. that they can learn from. In healthcare, that is a really perverse concept. I think to celebrate failures is just not the way the system's been built. Well, um, I mean, because I,
1: in I said, many cases, the failure is the death of a patient, which death is, of
0: a patient and yeah. liability and risks and all of those things, but how much more, if I could, you know, wave a magic wand, what would healthcare look like if for the last 10 years we'd celebrated failure? How sure. many more lives could we save in the future if that was something we, you know, embraced? Um, I, I think it would be a very, you know, very different world. <laughs> you know, it would be hard even to rack our brains around what that might look like. Um, sure. But it would be interesting. Where is the line? Where does the pendulum land between all of these different industries uh, that can learn from each other in order to create a better tomorrow? Because that's yeah. what it's about, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and you know what I mean. In in the defense of healthcare, many in in many or most healthcare circles, um, doctors will do what are called M M&M and M rounds, which is morbidity and mortality rounds. So they will sit down together and 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 bring cases of things that didn't go well Um, and that's not necessarily because somebody did something wrong it's just that sometimes things in medicine don't go well they don't go as expected Um, and it's it's a forum for everybody to sit down and say okay this is what went wrong what could we have done differently in this case to get a better outcome so that way it elevates everybody and everybody does better and i think you know perhaps that's something that other businesses can look at doing as you know as well, just look yeah. at it from from an m M&M m round standpoint of like okay, this interaction with this client or or this business transaction we did everything like we were supposed to do, but it didn't work out right. yeah, what happened, and how can we prevent that happening in the future?
0: I think it's great, and some of the last bits in the in the wrap up of the last five minutes was I was having a conversation on another um, podcast guest, and it was about scenario. Planning and this, you know, ability strategically to foresight scenarios, and you know we didn't have scenario planning for the current pandemic. You know, we don't, we didn't have like we do for war games. You know, the the plans of building up the protocols, you know, the logistics, the supply chains of all of these things. We hadn't done that for pandemics, um, and I think there's. The aftermath that we've just been talking about of what might have gone wrong in whatever it is, the activity we've been doing, but this scenario planning of if something was to go wrong, what would it be beforehand? So it can be more of a strategic thought around looking for then the opportunities for innovation. And often businesses are so busy in the business as usual, the things that are being faced with them right now to be able to come out and say, How would we reinvent things? And I think you are a rarity in the industry that that is part of your operating system is to be curious, to look for the new things, not just because it's a new shiny object, but because you want to bring it in, understand how this might extend health and life and uh, serve that to the world, which I think is a really beautiful thing that you work to do. Long may it continue and inspire others to do the same. If, if some of the uh, listeners have been inspired by uh, what you're up to or doing, they might even be in uh, the same industry or perhaps even another one. And they'd like to reach out to you to talk to you um, about any of the concepts or thoughts. How could they get in touch?
1: Um, they can get in touch through um, my office website would probably be the best way to go. <laughs> Uh, the office website is client service at holisticvetcare dot com. Okay. So if people want to send an email with a question or something, that'll, that'll get forwarded to me. Um, and I think it's also worth saying that, that, and, and I I very much appreciate everything that you've, you, you, you've said about, about me and about the business and, and you know what, it is very much a team effort. Um, this is not a one man show. Um, uh, both both by, by sheer numbers and by gender. It is not a one-man show. Yeah. Um, you know, I have some very, very good and very capable people around me. Um, and, and, you know, and certainly, um, you know, my wife, Lee. Yeah. Um, you know, none of this happens without her. Yeah. Uh, you know, she, she is the person that in many ways is the visionary. Um, you know, I mean, from a medical perspective, I'm the one that's always looking for something new. But from a business perspective, Lee's the one who's always got her eyes on the horizon, uh, whereas very frequently I'm focused on I have to treat this patient today or I have to get this accomplished today. So it really it it takes a variety of skill sets um, and and, you know, it really it really just speaks to the, you know, the old adage of of always try and surround yourself with people smarter than you are. Um, because it, because that is the key to success at the end it of the is. day.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. And I think this balance of surrounding yourself with smart people, but smart in the right ways of, uh, you, you know, Lee, who's a great maximizer, um, yeah. you know, and different people uh, are required for businesses to grow. And you're, you're absolutely right. It's a full team effort and a great team that you've got. And a, a last uh, piece uh i want you to share the story about the t-shirts that you had in uh in school in your veterinary school <laughs> <laughs> as a last little piece of an insight into you uh, that just made me smile uh, of those things so if you if you're up for
1: sharing sure sure so um you know, one of the things that you do uh, in veterinary school or as a veterinarian, depending on what types of animals you treat, um, is you do what's called palpate cows. And and palpating cows is a way to determine if they're pregnant. Uh, and the way that you do this is you stick your entire arm up their back end, and you can feel their ovaries and their uterus, et cetera. It is it is as disgusting as it sounds. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, so. So some enterprising person in my vet school put together a shirt. Uh, I went to University of Florida um, and there was a picture, like a cartoon picture of a person like with their arm inside a cow. And it said, University of Florida, College of Veterinary Medicine, the hardest part is getting in. (laughs)
0: Love it. Love it. Thank you. Been a great guest and uh, I wish you, Lee and Abby, your daughter, a uh, fantastic future. And thank you very much for sharing.
1: Thank you so much, it's been wonderful.
0: Do you have the level of adaptability to survive and thrive the rapid changes ahead? Has your resilience got more comeback than a yo-yo? Do you have the ability to unlearn in order to reskill, upskill and breakthrough? Find out today and uncover your adaptability profile and score, your AQ. Visit aqai.io to gain your personalized report across 15 scientifically validated dimensions of adaptability. For a limited time, enter code PODCAST65 for a complimentary AQME assessment. AQAI, transforming the way people, teams and organisations navigate change. Thank you for listening to this episode of Decoding AQ. Please make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast directory and we'd love to hear your feedback. Please do leave a review and be sure to tune in next time for more insights from our amazing guests.